What's good, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Saturday, June the 11th, the year 2022. Lots to do here on this weekend program. Recap Game 4 of the 2022 NBA Finals between the Golden State Warriors and Boston Celtics. Get into a little bit of baseball as far as my Baltimore Orioles are concerned, and not necessarily the product on the field, but a dispute going on with ownership. We'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. And uh, and the uh, got some new, newly uh, paid uh, players uh, in the National Football League that had just uh, got finished coming off of huge paydays. Uh, honestly, the two the two uh, players are the reason why yours truly Cincinnati Bengals do not have a uh, Super Bowl heading into the 2022 season. And no, I'm not talking about Matthew Stafford. I'm talking about the I'm talking about Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald. And it's ironic that I bring that up because coincidentally, when I got up this morning, you know, and I you know I don't put much thought into what I wear when when I'm around the house doing whatever. So I'd randomly you know picked out. A shirt, and the in sh- the top shirt that was in my uh, that was in my drawer that I had picked out was my Bengals 2021 Nike AFC Champion shirt. So uh, and then of course uh, I didn't you know we had much more things I wanted to address. It was a we- real well-rounded episode as far as talking about the golf, the NBA with the Lakers and the NBA Finals and in the NFL with Deshaun Watson, a little bit of Major League Baseball with Joe Madden. Be a nice, short, quickie show for you here this weekend. Uh, touching on uh, NFL baseball with the Angelos with my Orioles and the Game 4 of the NBA Finals. And I tell you something, I tell you something right now, guys. I tell you. If the Boston Celtics end up losing this series, they and Steph Curry wins another NBA championship, and the Boston Celtics have to go through an offseason of what, speak of the devil, my Cincinnati Bengals had to go through, and that's being a you know being the uh losing that last game of the season losing that championship losing uh in that championship level setting and being the league's runner up if the Boston Celtics have to and their fan base uh, endure, is going might might and could endure that feeling they are going to rue the day of of Friday June the 10th 2022 game four of the NBA finals at the TD garden in Boston, Massachusetts. That is a game, ladies and gentlemen, that if you're a Celtic fan, I told my father this, I saw watch the second half of the game with him. And I told him, I, I, I said, ad infinitum. I said, if you are a Boston Celtic fan, you have to be livid. And I don't know if you're a Celtic. I understand, you know, the series is still you're at the halfway point in the series. You know, tied at two games, two tied at two games apiece. The first team to to uh, to avoid to first team to avoid 
losing two games and win two will uh, will be the champion. It's tied at two games apiece, heading into game five, halfway through the series, uh, or thereabouts with game five, with games five and six guaranteed. A uh, game seven is guaranteed if the if whatever team loses game five wins game six. But if you, but if you're if you're a Celtic fan. I, you know, whether you were at the game or you watched it on TV in a bar, or whatever, I, you had a hard time. At least, at least how I was thinking. And if I'm putting myself in you guys' shoes, you guys had a rough time sleeping on Friday night. You had a rough time, and not, and it wasn't because the game started at nine o'clock at night. It was because of the effect of how you lost that game and what was at stake. Ladies and gentlemen, the Boston Celtics had an opportunity to go back to San Francisco. To go back to the Chase Center with a 3-1 series lead on one of the greatest dynasties in NBA in NBA history in the last 20 years in the Golden State Warriors. Had a Game 5 on the road, having already beaten Golden State at the Chase Center in Game 1, and had a 3-1 lead and had... Two games to work with to win a championship. Where if you where and they had and they would have put themselves and set themselves up in a position where if they had not have won if, if where they would have set themselves up in a position where had they of course won last night but lost game five at Golden State, they would have had an opportunity to come back to Boston winning the first two out of the three games played in Boston in that arena, having won the first two games played in Boston with a 3-2 series lead and would have had an opportunity to win a championship in front of their home crowd. Now, they still have a chance to win a championship in front of their home crowd in six if they take care of business in Oakland on Monday night. In Game Five, but it could, but it their road to winning a championship just got a little bit more time-consuming, a little bit more difficult, and a little bit longer as far as the actual length of the series. Because instead of having to beat Golden State in five, they got to play them six, seven games. And if you say, Giant, why does that? Why are you bringing it up about length of the series and all that? Why, like, what does it matter? You guys forget. Since their first round playoff series in mid-April against the Brooklyn Nets, the Celtics have played back-to-back seven-game series. They went the full seven against Milwaukee. They went the full seven against Miami. Golden State, on the other hand, had a short series, five games in against Denver in the first round. Would have been four had not they would have had not they take off game four at the ball center. And in the Western Conference Finals, one heavy lift in beating Luka Doncic and the Mavericks in five games 
again, another series where the Warriors could have easily swept the Mavericks out of the building and, and right into the offseason, but they decided, of course, to take Game 4 off on the road. The only exception to Golden State was their second round series against Memphis. And that was going on a, a little over a month ago, or thereabouts. And that series didn't even go seven. It went six. But because of how mentally and physically grueling and taxing that series was, players getting banged around, injuries, hard flagrant technical fouls, and the fact that prior to Boston, the the Warriors' biggest and most toughest, grittiest opponent throughout these entire playoffs has been the Memphis Grizzlies. Golden State, you can make an argument a little bit more rested, or not as ment- or not as drained mentally and physically. As Boston is. Because don't get me wrong. As much as we praise Boston. For being for being worthy of being the Eastern Conference champions. For being worthy of playing the NBA Finals. They, they're tough. What such guts they have. They went through they went through KD. Kyrie with the Nets. They swept them. They beat the defending champs. Giannis and the Bucks in the second round. And they went through a damn good Miami Heat team. To win an Eastern Conference championship. There's also a yin and a yang to that. The yang to that is that ever since ever since that first round series against Brooklyn in mid late April, it's been nose to the grindstone, pedal to the metal, back to back seven game series. And you wonder if as the series wears on, and as the momentum is clearly and Obviously, with Golden State as they head back to San Francisco for game, what, for game five. Will it get into the heads of the Boston Celtics and they start to wear down? Not maybe physically, but mentally. And if that happens, and if Golden State... Holds home court in game five to go back to Boston with a chance to win a championship in game six. I don't know. If that scenario were to happen, unless an injury or something unforeseen happens along the way, I would not give Boston a chance to force a game seven and to go back to uh San Francisco down three two headed back home. And the prime one of the primary reasons why is the Boston Celtics are six and eight at home in the in the playoffs. Six and eight. They've been beaten at home by Milwaukee Lost game six, obviously, to Miami over a week ago, over about, what, two weeks ago going on? And they screwed up an opportunity to take the 
first to, to take the two games in their own building in games three and four. They split. Now, I did come on here and say how imperative it was for the Golden State Warriors to make sure that they got a split. To tie the series up to make sure that they got a split when the series heads back to San Francisco. I did say that. And Golden State accomplished that. But if you're the Boston Celtics, you cannot under any circumstances. It is completely reprehensible for you to get outscored 17-3 to in the final 5-15 of the fourth quarter. Let me say it to you again. The Boston Celtics got outscored 17 to 3. 3. One three-point shot that was made by Al Horford coming out of the timeout. Coming out of Ime Udoka's one of his final timeouts. That's it. You that that's unacceptable. Not when not when you your largest not not when Golden State was a, outside of Steph Curry was on the ropes. They had don't get me wrong. Andrew Wiggins stepped up big time. He had he had a tremendous play with the heart of a champion. A tremendous game on Friday night. Forty three minutes, seven to seventeen. 17 points, 16 rebounds, 3, 13 of them defensively, a steal, and 2 assists. Played wonderfully Friday night. But outside of Andrew Wiggins and Clay Thompson, who was on and off, it was a Steph Curry show. It, it, it was a Steph Curry show. Gary Payton Jr. didn't do much. Didn't do much. Jordan Poole, same deal. 6 of 13 from the field, but was 2 of 7 from 3. Didn't do a whole hell of a lot. It was the Steph Curry show. And outside again of Andrew Wiggins and a decent performance from Klay Thompson, Celtics had all the answers. At least via the box score, they had all the answers. They they had only granted their largest lead of the night was seven points, but you felt throughout the majority of that game up until around the halfway point of the fourth quarter, you felt that the that the Boston Celtics were in the driver's seat for the majority of the game. At least I know I did. But you throw in the fact that Boston got out rebounded fifty five to forty two. The the Warriors racked up 39 defensive rebounds. On the flip side, Boston only came up with 11. Okay? And they turned over the basketball. Both of them did evenly 16. But for the majority of that game on Friday night, the Warriors were winning the turnover battle by a landslide. By a landslide. 
Not to mention, Golden State knew how to impose their will on Boston with points in the paint. Outscored Boston 38 to 32 points in the paint. 38-32. And there were moments in the game where the margin wasn't even that close. They out-rebounded Boston. They out-hustled Boston. They dominated Boston inside the paint. Not to mention they allowed the great Steph Curry, one of the greatest basketball players of my generation, go off for 43 points, shoot 50% from three, 14 of 26, 10 rebounds, 4 assists. Granted, he turned over the basketball upon him with 15, but we won't nitpick as of the like the Skip Baylesses of the world. And I'll tell you something right now. Steph Curry, there is no re- you can if you if you have the audacity to try to convince me anybody else why Steph Curry doesn't deserve to win NBA Finals MVP if Golden State holds on and wins if you're if you try to convince me of that you don't know a damn thing about NBA basketball what you're a clown you're dope a joke one ear out the other because Steph Curry ladies and gentlemen has been off the damn charts in his first four games of this series. 34, he's averaging 34, 6, round 3.8 assists, round up the four, so you might as well say 34, 6, 4, 2, that's points, rebounds, assists, steals in a game, per game. For the series, he's shooting 50% and both regular overall field goal shooting and three-point field goal shooting. He's averaging 34-6 and and rounded up to four, shooting 50% from the field and 50% from three. And this is all the while Draymond Green once again stunk up the joint. You flip the script and you flip the page, you, you, you go to the other side of the box score, it's Draymond through his first four games of the finals, 17 points, 18 fouls, shooting 23% from the field. He's got more fouls than he does points scored in this series. So you throw in the fact that Draymond Green, even in hindsight, even in spite of Steph Curry's greatness, in spite of Steph Curry's signature NBA Finals performance uh, thus far of his NBA career, and what a game and what a and what a win that was for Gold State and a confidence boost heading into Game Five. In spite of all of that, Draymond Green still stinking up the joint. Clay Thompson had one good game for the majority of this series. He's been very underwhelming to say the least. Jordan Poole has had his moments, but he hasn't been there for all four games. And yet, Steph Curry is still doing what he does. He literally is the definition of putting his team on his back and carrying them to the promised land. And bringing them home and getting the job done and making sure, hey guys, by hook or by crook, I don't give a damn if I got to do it by my damn self. 
we are not hopping on that five-hour plane flight back to San Francisco looking at our season on the brink. We're going back down 2-2 and making sure that come push put making sure that we come back here at least one more time for game 6. And there's a lot of criticism and there's been a lot of criticism for Steph Curry throughout his NBA career, you know, and how he what he's never been the best player on his, which he hasn't. Uh, Godala got the MVP 15 Six sixteen, it was LeBron James obviously for that historic three one comeback, and then the championships with Kevin Durant. He obviously was the best player on the team. Now you are starting to see either Steph Curry either tell the haters to go stick it, or you, and or you're seeing Steph Curry decide to put the big boy draws on, step up to take that alpha dog leader on the team. Andre Iguodala riding the bench. His better years of his career is is over the hill now. KD is on the other side of the country playing for the Nets. It's and Clay Thompson still getting his still getting his legs back under him after the two surgeries. Steph Curry with that alpha dog mentality says, "Hey, I'm the alpha. I'm the lead dog. I'm I'm one A on this team. I'm the leader. I'm the All Star. I'm the Hall of Famer. You guys get on my damn back, and I will shoot our way." To a championship, and so far throughout this series in the first four games, he's done it again. Thirty-four, he's averaging thirty-four points, six rebounds, four assists, two steals, and shooting fifty percent from the field overall and from three-point range. Absolutely sensational. Steph Curry has put on an absolute masterclass in these finals. The only, really, the only. Negative, he, again, like I told you guys on Thursday, he showed up in the game three loss. Offensively, he he, he, show, he showed up. His defense was terrible, but, but I mean, as, as was Draymond Green, the quote-unquote defense specialist. He's doing it all. And really outside of the second half of game one, offensively, Steph Curry has been sensational. Outside of the second half of game one, he has been fantastic. And even with game one, he had the sensational first quarter that makes you forget about the bad second half that he had. Outside of the fact that the Warriors lost the game. But you get the idea. Steph Curry, first player in NBA history to make five threes in four consecutive NBA Finals games. I mean, at the end of the day, you just you gotta you gotta marvel at him. You gotta marvel at him for the talent and just the 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 the, the, the jaw chopping greatness that he displays every single time he walks on the basketball court. You can't complain now. I, 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 Unless something, either, either he either hits the wall and he can't make a jump shot unexpectedly or something. If the Golden State Warriors don't win this series, you can't sit up here and say that Steph Curry didn't give it his all. He didn't bust his ass. He didn't lay, lay it out on, all on the line and he didn't show up because he has. If the Golden State somehow loses this series, it's because of the people around Steph Curry. Unless he unless he has a terrible shooting night where he goes like where he goes 
eight for thirty. He goes eight for thirty and finishes with uh, with twelfth points and turns over the basketball five times like he did last night. But unless he puts up a performance like that in Game Five and then repeat it in Game Six when the series goes back to Boston for one more game, for one more game, it ain't, it ain't gonna be Steph Curry's fault if the Warriors don't win the NBA championship. You'll, you'll pinpoint the blame on Clay. You'll pinpoint the blame on Draymond Green. It won't be Curry. Steve Kerr, the head coach. By the way, about damn time, Steve Kerr. Taking out Draymond Green. That was another under. That was that was also another uh, primary reason why why the uh, why the uh, war, why the Warriors were able to were able to walk out of there by the hair of their chinny chin chin with a with a win uh, with a win last night. Because because Steve Kerr finally put his emotions and put his love affair and his love for Draymond Green by the board and said, listen. We cannot go back to our. We cannot go back to our building down. We cannot go back to our building down two zero, or excuse me, down three one. When I had an opportunity to change the issue and I did nothing about it, so either somebody on his staff or Steve Kerr finally wised up and said and said to himself, "As much as I love the guy, we have no chance of winning this of st- of stealing." This game from Boston and going back to go going back to San Francisco with, tied at two games apiece. If Draymond Green is out there on the floor, is out there on the floor, and 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 airtight mo- and airtight moments in the second half, we can't, can't we can't afford it. So Steve Kerr finally woke up and said, "You know what? My best chance of winning this game is with Draymond Green on the bench rather than on the floor." He took him out. Golden State won. Who would have thought? But uh. Golden State, just to give you another note, what they've won a road game and now 27 straight playoff series, longest act, longest streak in NBA history. And as for the Boston Celtics, three points, one of eight from the field, do the math, that's 13%, one of seven from three. Out of the eight jump shots Boston attempted in the final five minutes of the game, Seven of them were threes. I mean, good Lord. The Warriors' defense, you go back and look. The Warriors' defense was literally giving, giving, and daring the Boston Celtics to drive inside, to to, to crash the paint, to either set up the open three, or to get an or to get a floater underneath the basket or a jump shot on the on the elbow or easy layups one of the reasons why boston has won two games in this one of the reasons why they won game 3 was because and i told you guys this on thursday of boston's ability to dominate the paint and dominate and dominate the the game and dominate the dominate the game inside and crash the glass and out rebound Golden State in those categories. I told you, if Golden State doesn't do, doesn't fix it, they have no chance. They fixed it, so obviously they have a chance. But game three, Boston kicked the Warriors' ass and rebounds and points in the paint. Golden State returned to favor. 
And it wasn't even like that Boston was... trial and you know with a matter of uh, with a matter of trial and error they were just going to the you know they were driving inside and and, and they weren't falling and don't get me wrong they you know they've had a, they had a couple of of layups that didn't go in but 80% of the time it was shooting a three again final 5 minutes 7 out of the 8 jump shots in the final 5 minutes of the fourth quarter were, th- were them hoisting up threes while the paint's just wide open. Al Horford shooting threes with when that Golden State team, with Draymond Green out of the game, by the way, that Golden State team that plays small ball doesn't have a, doesn't, you know, Andrew Bogut's not coming through that door for them anymore. And they're hoisting up threes. Three after three after three after three after three. Just hoisting them up. I even tweeted, Boston, stop shooting the threes. I mean, when when does it get to a point if you're Ime Udoka where you get it? He took about he took like two timeouts out the last I believe probably I if my memory serves me correctly without looking at the play by play sheet. I believe he took like two timeouts during that seventeen to three run. Ime didn't say, Hey guys, can we cut shooting the threes like it's going out of style and maybe try to bully the Warriors in the paint and see if we can get some easy laps so we can uh so we can nail down Golden State's margin and when the and during the points where the game was back and forth so they could tie the game or if they had the lead they could they could build upon their lead. I mean it was like go it was like Golden State gets the ball, Golden State's possession, Steph Curry drops the three, and it's the whatever you can do, I can do better mentality following possession with Boston. They get the ball, they start hoisting up threes. Guys, that's not your game. It's Golden State's game. You can make your threes, but that's not your game. That's Golden State's game. They have Steph Clark, with all due respect to you guys know how much I love this Boston team. You know how much I'm a fan of Jason Tatum, but with all due respect the Warriors have Klay Thompson and Steph Curry. You guys don't. You guys don't have a Steph Curry on your team. One of you guys' benefits is your mid-range game, your two-point executing your two-point drop shots, out-rebounding teams, and making your layups. And you guys didn't do a very good job of that on Friday night. They let the Warriors beat. Boston at their own game on top of Curry's three-point perform three-point shooting performance. On top of Curry's three-point performance or shooting performance, I should say. On top of that, and on top of uh, Andrew Wiggins picking up the slack for Draymond Green, they beat the Celtics at their own game, like what they did pretty much in Game Two. The only difference was. Steph Curry being the only one to sh- being the only one sh- to show up for Golden State kept Golden State out of the driver's seat for the last for about what forty five out of the forty eight minutes of the game. And if Boston didn't turn over the basketball as many times as they did, they would have beaten Golden State by ten, fifteen. Maybe 20-ish points. 
One guy, one guy is not going to get it done. The second leading scorer for Golden State was Klay Thompson, who didn't turn on until the second half, and he, and he only had 18 points. I mean, when the second leading scorer on a on a on a, in a, on a, for an NBA basketball team, the first guy scores you know 30, 35 plus, and then the second guy has 18. Throw in the fact that. Two at two other starters in, a, in your starting lineup combined for two points. Throw in the fact that Jordan that your bench only racked up, uh, only racked up twenty five points. No, excuse me, yeah, twenty five points. Like that's not a game. They deserve the win because they outplayed Boston in areas where where the Celtics were unfair and Steph Curry's performance, but that was a game that the Celtics should have won by 10, 15, 20-ish points. Your, your second leading scorer is in the teens and Steph Curry drops 43 points. Odds are you're not going to win too many basketball games. Don't believe me? Look at look at Luca's perform 40 35 and 40 plus performances against Golden State specifically against Utah against Phoenix and just in general Luca's career. Luca goes crazy and the rest of his teammates don't pick up the slack. They don't win. I don't care if Luca drops 50. If the other if the players come off the bench and the other four roster players on the starting lineup on the floor aren't putting the ball in the basket, what chance do you have? Golden State a little different, a little different, not by much, because that was a game that they outright stole, stole from Boston. Boston couldn't make their jump shots, plain and simple. Jalen Brown. Salah Knight, one good enough. Jason Tatum, need more from him. 8 for 23, 23.6 turnovers. Really? Really? Can't happen. Can't happen, excuse me. Can't happen. White coming off the bench, three turnovers. I mean, Jason Tatum, who I love, who I root for, think he's top 10 player in the NBA. Way too many times. Way too many times. I told you guys this at, the beginning of the series, at the beginning of the series. This team struggles with putting together back-to-back championship level performances. They struggle with it. They struggle with it. Whatever it is, for whatever the reason, they struggle to, to put back-to-back games together where they play well for a full 48 minutes and they beat the crap out of their opponent and they win. They, they've struggled with that. They're good coming off of losses, but coming off of wins, especially at home, 6-8 and eight record in the playoffs this year, they're not, they're not as good as they are on the road and when they come off of losses. Like I said, the yin and the yang. And I told you guys that I did not anticipate anybody in this, who regardless who wins the series, I told you I did not anticipate a team winning back-to-back games. And so far, that's been the case. 
first four games, the two in each and the two in each city has been split down the middle. Boston has won game one in game three. Golden State's won game two in game four. If the trend continues, I don't think it will because I think this is a a a a a a a, a significant loss psychologically for Boston. But watch Boston go out there and flush Friday's Friday night's debacle down the toilet and beat Golden State by 15 come Monday night. I don't anticipate it happening, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. But again, if you're Boston, you, can, you can't excuse it. You had an opportunity to go back to San Francisco with an opportunity to win an NBA championship in a series clinch in Game 5. When you had Golden State on the ropes to the point where Steve Kerr had no choice but to take Draymond, his, you know, the, at least in Golden State's eyes, the beloved Draymond Green out of the game. Clay Thompson won great. Not, nobody outside of Steph Curry was, was really all that great. Andrew Wiggins was the only thing that came close, but even but that came more and but that came more with 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 his rebounding game and the intangibles more than it, more than it was him putting the ball in the basket. Because when from that standpoint, it was a Steph Curry show, and he had an opportunity, but your turnovers, getting out rebounded, outscored in the paint, it cost you. And your turnovers by by itself kept the Warriors in the game. Without question, they did. If Boston doesn't turn over, and it wasn't until as the game wore on where the turnover margin, where the turnover differential got skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. Because at the beginning, it was air apparent. The, the Celtics turnovers were keeping the Warriors in the game. And if the and if the Celtics would have just cut out the turnovers, they wouldn't even had to worry about going one of eight in the final five minutes in the fourth quarter. That wouldn't even been an issue because it would have had su- that because they would have had such a large cushion to sit on. They would have had such a they would have had a bigger margin of error. But that wasn't the case. Won the case. Steph, Steph and Clay, and Draymond Green. Why not throw him a bone? Most NBA Finals wins by an All NBA trio in the last fifty seasons. They tie the San Antonio Spurs trio of Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili with nineteen. But I tell you, Boston ends up losing this series. Yudoka, Brad Stevens, the GM, those players, smart. Horford, Robert Williams, Tatum, all of them, and their fans, their passionate, rambunctious fan base, will rue last night, will rue what happened on Friday night at the TD Garden because they had an opportunity to not only win the game but absolutely crush Golden State's morale and, and confidence with a 3-1 lead, heading back to San Francisco with an opportunity to win an, to win an NBA championship in Game 5. And they also had an, and they also had an opportunity 
they also had two games to work with where if they would have lost game five up 3-1, they wouldn't have had to worry of fighting off elimination while also trying to win a championship. Now, if they lose game five with a tie 2-2, they got to come back home to game six with no championship on the line for them to win at home. And they have the thought of them losing an NBA championship in the back of their mind. When they were up 2-1, they had an opportunity to beat Golden State when they had them on the ropes. They lose this series, boy. I tell you, if you if you're a Celtics fan, you 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 whatever God you pray to, you start praying to him now. That somehow, some way, they they wiggle out of this mess, take Game Five, and then go back home for Game Six and win that. And 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 win the next win the next two games of this series back to back and. And, and and just put what put what happened in Game Four behind you, because if they lose this series, if you're a Celtic fan, I don't know how you how 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 you how you stomach what occurred on Friday night, because that was downright embarrassing and disgraceful. Steph Curry by his by himself took over the game and from a Celtics perspective put this series on its ear when it was when it when when it was peaches and cream for about the first roughly 40 for the, for, for the roughly the first 35 40 minutes of the game and you pissed it down your leg with Golden State going back home with all the momentum in the world and by the way, last thing too, and then we'll take a break. Who is the jackass in the uh, Boston Celtics organization I thought was a good idea to have a t-shirt giveaway with all the championship banners and then had a blank spot where the new, where the newest or the most latest championship. Who is the, who, who, what, what marketing executive gave the okay for that? Who in the hell within the Celtics organization thought that was a good idea? I'm just asking. Who th- who thought that was a good idea and that and that and that it wouldn't that it would not come back to to bite the Celtics in the ass as bulletin board material for Golden State? That's another thing too I don't like. Self-inflicted ineptitude from the performance on the court. To the jackrabbits in the office spaces for the Celtics, deciding it was a good idea to have a T-shirt giveaway centered around the the Boston Celtics championship banners. You must be kidding me. Who was the Einstein that thought that was a great idea? And who are the other Einsteins and and geniuses that were that were okay with it and went along with it? Just dumb. Take a break. The I'm tell I can tell you this podcast continues. Back in the flash.
Welcome back to the I'm Tell I Can Tell Is podcast. Switching gears to Major League Baseball now. And there was an interesting development that uh, that occurred over the uh, over this past week, and that is, and it was give uh, the Baltimore Banner, a new nonprofit newspaper here in Baltimore, the rival, the uh, Baltimore Sun. Give them tremendous credit, uh, Tim Prudente and Justin Fenton. Uh, who uh, who came out with this piece on the uh, 9th of June on Thursday uh, with this story, but that the uh, that the sons of Orioles owner Peter Angelos, Lewis and John Angelos, are with with Peter's uh, with Peter's wife caught up in the middle of this on the side of uh, on the side of Lewis Angelos. Georgia is her name of 80 years of age, um, are now suing each other. Are, uh, Lewis, Lewis, Lewis is suing, uh, his, his, uh, is suing John and his mother, uh, came out Thursday in Baltimore County Circuit Court that, that, of this lawsuit claiming that their father, Peter Angelos, Intended for the two brothers to control the team equally, but John, who is Lewis's older brother, two years his senior, uh, has made has gained control of uh, power of uh, you know power and control of the team. And if you've seen like the statements that come from the Orioles front office, that you see they're always signed John Angelos, who is the CEO, and at least from the outside looking in, is the head man. Of the Baltimore Orioles organization now that Peter Angelos is well into his nineties, and uh, he basically has been out of control with the team since the you know for about five, six, six or so years. He and this all stems from uh, Angelos. He collapsed on October thirteenth uh, of two thousand seventeen due to aortic valve failure, and he was you know it was established. Uh, a trust with his wife and his two sons, co-trustees, to run the Orioles franchise. And the lawsuit reveals the infighting has gripped the brothers since their father uh, went sick five five years ago. Um, and according to the lawsuit, this is what it says. This is from Lewis's perspective. John intends to maintain absolute control over the Orioles to manage, sell, or if he chooses to move to Tennessee, where he has a home, he's a native of a Nashville, Tennessee, with uh, without having to answer to anyone. This is according to the lawsuit. Um, and it says, quote, the purpose of the lawsuit is simple. Peter Angelos created a trust for for the express purpose of ensuring that his sons would equally share 
decision equally share decision 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 making and inheritance of all family assets, including the Baltimore Orioles. John Angelos, however, has been working secretly to undermine his father's intentions to gain unilateral control. Lou Angelos Lewis is compelled to bring this action to set things right, according to a statement from his attorneys Je- Jeffrey Nussov and Paul uh, Rashisky. R-A-S-C-H-K-E, however you pronounce that last name. Uh, John's attorney could not immediately be reached for comment as of Thursday, and a spokesperson for the Orioles, spokeswoman for the Orioles, also declined uh, to comment. It also goes on to say that the suit, uh, the article goes on to say that the suit says that it was a uh, key uh, top priority of Angelos's wife, Georgia, 80 years of age, trying to sell the team, and an investor went about trying to negotiate a sale in, 2000, in May of 2020. Louis Angelos says John nixed the deal. It also claims that John Angelos forced out former star center fielder for the Orioles back in the 90s. Of course, Brady Anderson, he of course was the center fielder that hit a bunch of home runs for the Orioles back in the day. Had the basically had hair, had hair and uh, sideburns like Elvis. And apparently all the women back in the day fell head over heels over Brady Anderson, who was a heartthrob and had uh, worked in the, uh, in the Orioles front office for a good amount of time. He got axed. Because of, quote, this is according to Louis uh, Angelos, he presented a threat. John unilaterally and without consultation ordered GM Mike Elias, they they put his full (laughs) government first name, Michael Elias, in the article to fire Brady Anderson. An additional lawsuit alleges John fired longtime employees who would not play ball and surrounded himself with a bunch of yes-men in the Orioles organization. Lawsuit reveals a rift between Peter and John Angelos, uh, with John openly displaying his disregard for his father's uh, pre- pre- prerogatives uh, as managing partner of the team. Also, bitter and regular conflict over John's failure to pass the bar exam after attending law school. Peter Angelos, in case you guys don't know, built up a major law firm here in the city, and that's where Peter Angelos got his money. Angelos, lead investor of a group that purchased the team in 1993. Eli, so I won't bore you with that, where he got the team from. Uh, MLB, here's where it gets nice. Uh, MLB in 2019 asked who was running the team and 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 who would be the control person uh, with the ultimate authority and responsibility making all the organizations concerning the Baltimore Orioles. A lawsuit said John had walked away from the team in 2009 uh, after a disagreement over whether the Orioles should keep their spring training site in Florida or explore potential sites in Arizona. He continued to have his involvement with Masson. Of course, he now worked at Arizona Orioles games, but Lewis stayed working almost exclusively for the team between 2013 and 2016 and his role grew ironically and ironically enough what happened between 2013 2016 of course not of course 2012 of course we know they were good but 2013 to 16 Oreo, Orioles had 500 of better seasons and made and made the playoffs two out of two out of those uh, what that that four year that uh, 13 14 15 two they made the playoffs two out of that four year period with Lewis with Lewis running the team how ironically is that so maybe the problem with the Orioles isn't the Angels family owning it 
maybe it's the father and maybe it's the, it's John uh, no maybe it's Peter and George say goodnight it's John that says goodnight and let Louis Angels run the team by by himself because it certainly seems like at least from from so far reading and I already read it but I'm reading it to you guys on the air it looks like to me that Louis Angelos, the son, is the only one out of all of them that's got a lick of sense and looks like that they give a damn, but I shall continue. Uh, just before Peter Angelos was hospitalized, John returned to the team at his father's urging. So his father, I guess, told John to re to re enter himself into the Orioles ownership fold, which, you know, speaks volumes of how a garbage this team has been essentially since that 2016 and they were competitive they won 75 games in 17 so i guess you can say from 18 on to now that uh lewis angelo says uh, began a process in which john subverted his father's intentions and acted unilaterally without advance or disclosure to or consultation to his mother or lewis angelo's younger brother sue claims john met unilaterally with former dodgers General Manager Ned Coletti, while then, uh, while then, GM Dan Duquette was still with the team. Then he unilaterally hired a chief operating officer for business operations, John Valdine, who left after eight months because John Angelos refused to seize resp- cede responsibilities. So this guy John, it looks like, is an absolute freaking control freak. He also cut the pay of Anderson, the former center fielder, in a half before before firing him. Georgia Angels called a meeting late 2019. The 2019 was one of the worst baseball teams in the history of Western civilization. Wanted to talk about getting their corporate house in order. The plan was designed to get the Angelos family out of the public eye as managing the Orioles. The lawsuit says creating a creation of a board with John serving as president and Lewis the vice president. The plan also called for transferring Mr. Angelos's interest into the in the Orioles into a revocable trust as a prelude to a sale. The suit says George Angelos was anxious to implement the plan. Uh, and it says the lawsuit instead John sprang into action, creating a leadership team with himself, appointed chairman, CEO, and no mention of Lewis or his mother. Lewis claims his brother fed their mother misinformation regarding both the team and Lou, and he harangued her over the telephone, angrily feeding her half-truths and outright fabrications that paralyzed her with confusion, fear, and indecision. Yeah, indecision. The lawsuit says John Angelos co-opted his father, his former attorney Chris Jones, by helping boost Jones's daughter, an aspiring country music singer named Carter Faith. Uh, and Joseph's wife, Marker Valentine, runs a Nashville-based music production company that took Faith under her wing, the suit says, performed many times. So that also explains the fact that, uh, also explains the fact with the Orioles, with this, uh, with the, with the Birdland Summer Series, with the Birdland Summer Series stuff they've been doing the last couple of, also explains the fact why Adam and Phenom, they brought up, they would have these country music singers who you couldn't pick out of a lineup, where if they were to perform in my driveway, I would shut the blinds, close the blinds, and take my ass and leave the house. So it was. So this also explains the big deal why you got a why a bunch of these uh, these no name country music stars. It all makes sense now as everything's coming to light. Also, and I hate to divert from this because I know you guys are just riveted with this information. Uh, and I believe I told you guys this on the program before. I forget who it was. 
I forget who it was, but there, but I got into a lengthy thing was via DM, a lengthy DM discussion. What her name was, I, I honest to God, I wish I could remember it. I don't. But I got into a lengthy conversation via Twitter DMs with one of the country music no-names who the Orioles had invited a few years ago to perform. And I remember, you know how I am with, when, when it comes to my teams. I get cranky, I get annoyed, I get easily irritated, and I essentially call the franchise and call the owner and call leadership out and call them everything but a child of God. And I was probably... along the lines of 17 years of age, 17, 18 years of age at times. So this is like two, three years ago. And I basically was like, because she thought that I was angry at her and being one of those loser Twitter tough guys that does nothing but take down celebrities. You suck, you can't say. And I, and I probably said something like, you know, who the hell is something along the lines of who the hell is this no-name no name country singer. So I probably, you know, have my own little Jai Shield spin of anger and, 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 and volatile attitude behind it. But I like went on this huge like diatribe of like of where my anger was coming from, where my anger was directed at, cause she, you know, she they ask her to perform. She puts on an Orioles jersey and kicks it until the break until the break of dawn in front of fifteen hundred at Oriole Park. She she wouldn't know Chris Davis from Boop Pal, but I was explaining to her. I remember explaining to her what my frustration was on, what it was about, and it was like basically. I, this team is basically using you as a front to distract the fact that the team's play is beyond reprehensible and that this ownership is an absolute complete disgrace. Lo and behold, ball doesn't lie. The truth eventually comes out in comes out of the darkness into light. And lo and behold, you read this article and it all begins to make freaking sense now. I shall continue. Carter Faith, Anzos' wife, Margaret Valentine, runs a Nashville, uh, and then you, and then you also, and this also ties into the small. They've been amplified because the team's been so bad, but the small little rumbling rumors that swirled around a little bit in the print and on Twitter of the Orioles potentially moving, going to Nashville, and this and this whole like big hoopla over a, a future major league baseball team in Nashville, which a I think is the most overrated thing, uh, one of the most overrated ideas in sports. The idea that Nashville is chomping at the bit for a major league baseball team, I think, is just because of the fact that 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 Vanderbilt, that the Vanderbilt Commodores are essentially the Alabama Crimson Tide of uh, of, of of SEC college baseball. I think that's one of the most over overrated, overblown uh, theories and and, 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 thought processes in sports is that, is that Nashville is dying for a major league baseball team. And even if they are, okay, fine. They, they're not, they aren't, and they shouldn't be getting mine or getting somebody else's team. Okay. If they want their own, let them have the, let them have their own team start from scratch, right? For, let them have the 31st team major league baseball. Okay. 
A, you're not taking my beloved Baltimore Orioles. All right, you all can take you can take that notion. You can stick it where the sun don't shine. Okay, you're not getting somebody else's team. This team will be will be 70 years old in the city of Baltimore come 2024. Okay, we love we don't get me wrong. Baltimore loves the Ravens. They love the Ravens, and we love our football here in the state. But we, but the Orioles hold a special place in our heart. There's something about the Orioles that th- with that connects with this city in ways that the Baltimore Ravens don't. And large part because of that is because of the history. Okay, My, the reason why I'm an Orioles fan is because it was passed down to me generationally. The Orioles are a part of the Baltimore and a part of the Maryland fabric. Alright? Back in the day when there were no Washington Nationals, the Orioles had a huge fan base throughout not just Baltimore and the state of Maryland, but the DMV. And you know how I know that's true? You go go down to Virginia, go down to DC area, see you'll you'll run into a few Orioles fans. Even go up to the northern central parts of Pennsylvania. Around York, Hershey, PA, you see, you see, you'll see a lot of Orioles fans. You'll see a lot. You'll see a, you'll you'll see a good, you'll see a good many people wearing wearing Orioles memorabilia. They're a part of the fabric, not just within the city, but within this but within this town. And they are, they 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 mean something to us. They mean they mean something to us. So whether this article has, or no, not this article, but if the accusations have any validity to it, I tell you something right now: if John Angelos is as much of a scumbag and as much as a piece of filth as his father was, then I tell you something: Major League Baseball, Robert Manfred, that means you, needs to step in before it gets too late and before it gets out of control. Before the rubblings get too loud and the attention gets too big, need to step in and save this team from its deluded, pathetic, worthless ownership. Save it. If John Angelos, according to the lawsuit within his article, essentially hijacked the Orioles organization because his father told him to get more involved as a quote-unquote dying wish of his, A, shame on him, and B, if he, if he has any, if you find any clue or any slither of evidence that he plans to move my team, my team, and the city of Baltimore's team, Manfred and the league office better hop on this like a bunch of FBI agents, and shut it down ASAP. Keep them in the city of Baltimore, and, and more importantly, keep them the hell away from the Angelos family. Get them out. Get them the hell out. Now, there are some things that prove 
that the orders aren't going anywhere. For one, back in April, the state of Maryland passed $1.92 billion evenly down the middle for the Ravens and to give to the Orioles and the Ravens so they can have money to spend to update and to keep their facilities of M&T Bank and Oriole Park at Camden Yards top of the line. So it's not like that they don't have the local politicians back. They, the, local, the local politicians have put their money where their mouth is, which is a positive. Unlike what the situation going, going on with the A's and Tampa, Orioles also, like I said, history, passionate fan base, a part of the city and part of the area's fabric. Unlike Tampa, they got a fan base. They got a jewel and absolute gem of the stadium that every baseball fan comes from all over the country to see, to watch a game at. Unlike Oakland and unlike Tampa. And like I said, for the nine minutes time in the last two minutes, they're a part of, well, I haven't actually said this, not just a part of the, the area where they play, not just a part of the fabric within the city, within the location that they play in, they're also a part of the fabric of the game of baseball and, and the league, the sport, MLB. There would be no Washington Nationals if the Orioles didn't exist. 45 minutes up the road. Okay? Cal Ripken with 21-31. Eddie Murray. Frank Robinson. Come on. They're not a little young franchise that came about the last 25-30 years. That has been, you know, among the bottom of the totem pole of one of the league's worst teams. Okay? There's no team in baseball from about 1965, 1966 to about to around 1983, one more games. From that period, from 66 to 83, so the back end of the 60s, all through the 70s, and the first few years of the 80s, there were you, outside of a couple teams you, you could find, there was no better team that put out a winning product, winning winning divisions, Going to the playoffs, winning playoff series, showing up and playing in the World Series, and winning World Series in the Baltimore Orioles. They played in two World Series in the sixties, sixty six and sixty nine. They played in a they played in World Series in seventy, seventy one, seventy nine, and and played and won last won the championship in eighty three. It was going on forty years ago. And from 69 to 71, they won three straight American League pennants from 69 to 71. 69, they lost to the Mets. 70, they beat the Reds. 71, they lost to the Padres. And then from 73 to 83, 79 to 83, they went 1, 70, 79, 80, 81, 82, 83. And then from 79 to 83, in that five-year period, they went to 2. World Series. This is a historic and once before the Angelos has walked up in there and screwed everything up. Proud franchise. We're not the Cardinals, not the Yankees, we're not the Dodgers. But 
when you look back at our history, there, there there's a lot of shining moments. I put it to you like that, and a lot of the, of the game's greats, whether they've played at Royal Park Academy Yards or they played at Memorial Stadium on Thirty Third Street, a lot of of the a lot of the game's greats, the the, the game of the sport of baseball's all time greats have suited up in the black and orange. From Brooks Robinson, the Frank, the Cal, to Book Powell, Jim Palmer, Dave McNally, Rick Dempsey, uh, uh, um, Eddie Murray, uh, Paul Blair, Al Bumry, go on and on and on. Even look at Major League Baseball in 2022. Manny Machado, who is running away with the National League MVP. What organization did he come out of? What organization? The whole reason why Manny Machado is making the money he's making is because of how damn great of a player he was playing with us. Platinum gloves. All-stars. And again, they play in a gem of a ballpark that makes the city of Baltimore money hand over fist. So, hopefully the league office realizes that and monitors this situation closely. Because if, God forbid, somehow the lawsuit or whatever goes in John Angelos' favor... And he's as much as a, of a twisted, lying crook as Bob Ursay was back in the day, who told and lied the city of, the, of Baltimore to their face at him for nine that he wasn't going to move the team. You can find quotes, quotes in front of TV cameras and in the early '80s saying, "I am not going to move the G damn team." Quotes. So if you're Manfred. And there's any truth or any validity to this, you make sure that the Orioles by hook or by crook, I don't give a damn if you've got to go to death's, death's door to do it, you make sure that the Baltimore Orioles are a part of the staple of the of the city of Baltimore. And you can we can knock Major Baseball to the cows come home. The one thing you give them credit for is that they don't play with that relocation nonsense. Okay, when a team, especially a team that that was founded, say pre pre Vietnam War, they're they're there. The Chicago Cubs, they're there. The Chicago White Sox, they're there. The Yankees, they're there. The Mets, they're there. The Red Sox, stapled in Boston. The Dodgers, stapled in Los Angeles. Baltimore Orioles, stapled in Baltimore. And you read it. I read it. To, it was in the plans for the mother to sell the team. So everything leans in the Orioles' direction for them, regardless of what happens to stay put. The only thing that he's John Angelos and John, and unless John Angelos is Bob Ursay, he said that as long as Fort McHenry is watching over the harbor, the Orioles will be in Baltimore. Told that to the Baltimore Magazine in 2019. 
And they signed a two-year extension through 2023. Now, the thing that raises an eyebrow is that And that the thing that raises an eyebrow is that why only two years? Now it was before the city of Baltimore gave him the money, but why two years? From an optimistic point of view, maybe it's that they realize that they probably somewhere down the line may have no choice but to sell the team. But why to the end of 2023? That makes me nervous. And that alone was the reason for the little rant I just went on, in and of itself. $1.2 billion upgrades to Oriole Park and M&T Bank Stadium. All I want is for somebody to not, not with, with, that does not have the last name Angelos to own the team. Because of the dark cloud and the black cat that's been running around this franchise since they bought it almost 30 years ago. They've owned this team for damn near 30 years. Granted, they've played in three ALCSs. But three ALCSs in 30 years and about a 17-year gap in between the second one and the third one. No World Series appearances. No World Series championships. You've let more star players that have played for this organization go out the door than you can shake a damn stick at. Christ knows prior to Chris Davis, you didn't spend any money. You play in a gem of a ballpark that has not hosted a World Series. And in the 21st century, you've, you've been in the playoffs three times. You haven't hosted a playoff game since game two of the 2014 ALCS. You haven't won a playoff game since game three of the ALDS of that same year. You haven't won a home playoff game since game two of that same ALDS. The Angelos family is offensive to the senses and they are toxic to the success and allergic to the successes of the Baltimore Orioles. Granted, they got the best farm system in the sport. They got young talent that's already on a major league roster who are going to be unfreaking believable. Adley Rush. Everything is going, is pointing in the right direction for the Orioles. The one thing that keeps me from going head over heels in love with the entire thing and being 120% optimistic is because of who runs things. Because 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 the, the precedent that has been set by the people who run things is that eventually it's only a matter of time for the other shoe to drop. And I do not want another cycle of another damn Orioles rebuild to go in vain because those bastards that own this team don't know what the hell they're doing. On top of the fact that they that they that they don't spend any damn money because of the fact. That there's no salary cap. 
So if there's no salary cap, fine. You do what you do, and you spend some money. Period. And by spending money, I don't mean wasting 200 plus million dollars on Chris Davis. I mean, making sure that players that, that have come up through your organization by the likes of Manny Machado are Orioles for life. It's ridiculous. I pray to God. There's the two more things I and when it comes to sports, there are no two bigger things I want in the world than the Bengals to win a Super Bowl and for the and for the Angelos family to sell the team to somebody. And granted, to somebody who's going to who's going to buy them, who cares for this team and wants to wants to see them be on top of the baseball world in Baltimore for generations to come. I want to be dead and gone for 25 years and the Orioles still be a thing here in this city. That is how much I love this team. I want to be dead for a quarter of a century and still have the Baltimore Orioles be Baltimore's charm of the sports world. That's what I want. And them winning on top of it. So, a Going off of what Angelo says, putting his Tennessee ties to the side. I hope he's telling the truth. I hope he's not blowing smoke up our asses. I hope he's not a repeat of Bob Ursay. And I also hope that Major League Baseball, in case he is, is fully prepared to fight for the city of Baltimore. You want to make me a fan of yours, Bob Manfred? Bob, Bob. Rob Manfred. And get me off your back. If God forbid, knock on wood, this stuff that Lewis is accusing John of doing is true, and he's got something sneaky underhanded up his up his up his sleeve, make sure that he goes out a loser, and you keep this team of Baltimore. If that means that the team is under league control for a few years until they find a reputable owner who who swears up and down is going to keep the team in the city, then so the hell be it. So the hell be it. Because it looks like, because if Lewis's accusations are true, shame on John Angelos. Shame the hell on him. Sell the team, get the hell, get the hell away from my team, and get the hell out of my city. And I don't mean to end. And when you do, and when if you do leave my city, leave my team behind. You leave, the team stays. Get as far away from my Baltimore Orioles. Ironically enough, I go through this rant, and it's Steve Cohen's birthday, who, ever since he's bought the Mets, has been a damn dream come true for you, for the long-suffering Met fans. I get, but he'll never say this. But I guarantee you, Showalter, working for Steve Cohen, night and day, from working, working for slash with the Angelos family. And I don't even, and I don't even have to meet Buck Showalter, shake his hand, have a conversation with him to know that. Lord Jesus, I pray, I pray, I pray that the Orioles in the next two years or so, as soon as possible, whether it's this year, 2023, 24, 25, the Angels sells the team, 
gets the hell away from the Orioles organization and they're bought by an owner or an ownership group that truly cares for this team, truly wants to see this team win, and is willing to spend money. I pray that we find our own Steve Cohen within the next few years. For every single last one of you Orioles fans out there or people that care for, for yours truly, I pray that you get on your knees and you pray for that. You pray for that. We'll wrap things up right after this. Welcome back to the Amatella um, Katia's podcast. Aaron Donald certainly is moving on up along the lines of highest paid players in the National Football League. He becomes the highest non-quarterback in the in the NFL as of right now. Set to receive for forty million dollar raise by the Rams and will seek of $95 million in totality on his new brand new contract that now runs through the 2024 season. Over the next two seasons, he is guaranteed $65 million. As the contract constructed, Donald will have the ability to either retire or return in 2024 for an additional $30 million guaranteed. The deal also uh, includes a, uh, a no-trade clause. Aaron Donald, of course, you heard... There was rumblings uh, that he might retire. Had he would walk away from the game and he'd retire if he did not get a brand new contract. Uh, and his teammate Cooper Cup, he's another one that uh, took my heart out during a Super Bowl uh, Fifty Six and essentially spat, urinated, and defecated on it all in one go around. And that is uh, Cooper Cup, who now gets a nice, a fat new contract of his own, three-year extension up to eighty million dollars. Uh, that the, so he is now under contract with the Rams to through, excuse me, two thousand and twenty six. Uh, where he's got two years remaining on his previous contract, he's due fourteen point eight million in two thousand twenty two. And then he uh, lose, and then he makes about two hundred thousand dollars less in two thousand and twenty three, making fourteen point six million. But then after that, from two thousand and twenty four to twenty six, he will now reap the benefits of his uh, his uh, his labor with the brand new spanking contract up until that two thousand and twenty, or excuse me, through that two thousand and twenty six season. My two cents on it, you know, what do you want me to say? Outside of Matthew Stafford, they are clearly the two best players and two most important players, the two uh, the two MVPs on that team. Um, again, outside of Matthew Stafford, of course, who who you can make the argument, and I quite frankly will, 
because the because the Rams aren't winning that aren't winning the Super Bowl with uh, I mean we've seen we've seen Aaron Donald enough to know that he's a, that he's a great defensive player. Rams didn't win didn't win a didn't win a Lombardi. They lost one with Donald on the team and go off as a quarterback. So. Uh, it's fair to say that Stafford is the MVP of the team. Don, of course, is the MVP of the team on the defensive side of the ball. But overall, Stafford's the MVP of the team. But throw Stafford out for a second. Cup and Donald are the two best players on the team. They are the two reasons why uh, the Rams won the Super Bowl. Donald, of course, can took over the game in the second half. Uh, in the second half, with you know, getting after Joe Burrow and did a phenomenal job stopping the run in in with the interior line, uh, rush of the Rams, of course, as we broke down a uh, months ago, and then of course Cooper Cup, who took over the game in the second half as well, scored the go ahead and ended up being the game winning touchdown catching, uh, in the end zone off of uh, Eli Apple, but um, they both get their paydays. Uh, something I wish they, that the Rams didn't have to do. I wish they did. I am not happy. Uh, you know, I then you know, the good old Jay Z saying can't knock the hustle. Well, it can knock the hustle when their uh, hustle hurts you. So uh, I wish they both did not get paid. Um, I, I I wish they still were on this current contract. I hope, hope and pray that I prayed and wish that the Rams were. You know, scrambling to make sure that they keep those guys. I wish that this uh, f those picks mentality came back to bite them in the ass. I, I, I hope and wished that uh, Stafford didn't get paid, that Cup didn't get paid, that uh, Aaron Donald didn't get paid, and I, because if you know, I the Bengals should have been the one that won the Super Bowl. They should not have gotten a huge pay raise, but. You know, to the victor goes the spoils, and uh, life's a bitch, and then you die. That's how cookie crumbles sometimes. Uh, you know, you live and you learn. And uh, you guys know where I stand on the Rams and, and my my stance on Stafford and Cup and Donald and McVay, who got married to uh, the Ukrainian, uh, who got you married to that Ukrainian supermodel, who, judging by the picture. Uh, that 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 the uh, that the that McVeigh's new missus McVeigh and Peter Schrager and his missus it looks like uh, she went to uh, the local uh, Botox place, the local plastic surgery fa uh, place, and got her face injected with about uh, say about the entire uh, aisle of Walmart's worth of. Uh, rubber-made tubberware uh, based on how her face looked but uh we'll uh, let that slide and if mcveigh's pecs were any bigger he'd probably have to borrow uh, one of her uh, sports bras for christ's sakes his pecs slash man boobs are so big just just stretching out the ever-living life out of that shirt and uh yeah, so you got McVeigh and you got uh, McVeigh getting hitched. Who everybody thought he was going to go to broadcast, but not a chance in hell. Uh, and why everybody is making such a big deal that Sean McVeigh got married and, and anticipates on being essentially what ninety percent of white American males with money want to be, and that's a father to have a legacy and a decent woman to lie down and sleep with at night in between breaking down the three four defense and uh and uh, how to convert on third and six uh you know with uh, with mcveigh everybody was making mcveigh out to be such a damn hero for wanting a wife and kids and uh, you know he's hitched and 
Stafford, McVay, and uh, and Cup get signed. Um, yeah, and I still gotta see that uh, that stupid that's that that damn uh, AT and T commercial with Stafford with that slick ass joke, thinking he's freaking George Carlin about you know leaving the Lions and going to the Rams most before. But God, for the love of God, AT and T, it's it's been what it's it's. Uh, what is it? It's June eleventh. It will be what my ma- it'll be four months come Monday from from winning the Super Bowl. Okay, we're more we're closer to the new season kicking off in about a, in about less than three months time than we are the old one that ended four months ago. Okay, Can we, put the you know don't 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 you guys have shelf lives on these commercials? I mean, it's been a minute since I've seen since I've seen the Chakalaka whoop. There it is, Geico commercial. Um, I love seeing the AT and T commercials with Gordon Ramsay on it back in the day ten years ago. Uh, I mean, come on, can we can we put put the bed the Star AT and T commercials, please? They make me sick. Rams organization just makes me damn, makes me sick to my damn stomach. Cronky, the coach, the quarterback, Donald. All OBJ, all of them make me sick. The damn uniforms, they ugly ass uniforms, they ugly ass logo, makes me sick, sick. My damn stomach. Ain't no damn, it made no damn sense why the Bengals shouldn't be winning the damn, shouldn't have won the Super Bowl. Stupid ass Eli Apple. God, God Almighty, you got one job to cover Cooper Cup and you couldn't do it, you piece of garbage. Corner. I mean what I said. Swear to God, if I see if I see Eli Apple anywhere near a football field in situations like that again, I will walk to Cincinnati and pull Eli Apple off the damn field myself. Thank God they drafted all those all those all those guys through the draft. My goodness, you open up the wound, got me angry. What can I tell you? And get, by the way, Cincinnati, don't bullshit around, excuse my French, and sign Jesse Bates. Huh? Don't don't upset the the, 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 the good nature and, and the and the good uh, uh culture that you've built. Don't 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 screw it up by by playing by nickel and diamond and playing hard to get with Jesse Bates. I understand you got Burrow to worry about, but see if you can see if you can work something out. Okay? Good Lord. Just, just, just don't. Don't, please. Just don't. Don't. I understand Jesse wants his money, but come on. Jesse has to... Jesse, two things, real quick. Jesse has to understand if he wants to stay in Cincinnati, he knows that the team is no good with without Joe Burrow as their quarterback. That's number one. So he can't ask, you know, to ask for Aaron Donald money when Joe Burrow... Has yet to be paid. That's the first thing. And they also got to worry about paying Jamar Chase within a few years' time, and possibly T. Higgins as well. On top of it, not and and who knows with Tyler Boyd, the elder statesman in that wide receiver room, that also would like to be handsomely paid as well. Who had a solid season. But if you Jesse, if you want to stay in Cincinnati, great. You gotta make. You also have to keep that in mind when you're at the negotiating table, not to ask for the top dollar. In Cincinnati, don't go nickel and diamond and shortchanging them. 
Okay, he's one of the top safeties in the sport, underrated one of the underrated defensive players in the sport, underrated secondary safeties in the sport. Played his ass off despite an underwhelming regular season. Played his ass off throughout the, in the playoffs, in the in the Chief Championship game, the Titan game, the Raider game, and the Super Bowl. Had an interception. Don't don't lowball him here. Do right by him. I'm more I'm more into the Bengals offseason whereabouts than the damn Rams. I'm sorry, Mike and the OC, but you know I can't stand your team as far as I can throw them. No matter how many times you try to convince me to love my team, love your team, I'm not gonna love a team, Mike, that sent that had me in a funky mood for two weeks because they beat my beloved Bengals in the Super Bowl. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast. The show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it is. your boy Jai Shields. Enjoy game five of the NBA Finals on Monday. I will talk to you guys on Tuesday. Y'all stay safe. Y'all take care. See you.